Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, most of the time, we are very familiar with the first part of that verse. It's pretty simple. All have sinned. But have you ever thought about what it means to fall short of the glory of God? I remember going over Bible verses for the Awana program with my daughter. She when she was real little, she was maybe I don't know, 3 or 4. And one of the first verses was was Romans 3:23, our main verse for today's episode. And the Awana program shortened that verse to three words, all have sinned. Now, I get it. You know, they're just the the purpose of that program is to get kids familiar with what the Bible teaches and they're they're memorizing uh simplified verses. Uh, but that last phrase, I think, is very important. And so I've been meditating and studying a lot on what the Bible teaches about the glory of God. So this is part two in a series. And so if you haven't listened to last week's episode, then certainly do that. Where I talk about, I just define what does it mean? What What is the glory of God? And so I have a Bible program, Logos Bible Software, where I can search all the verses in the Bible that talk about the glory of God. I read all of those and then also reading different commentaries and what other theologians have, uh, how they've defined the glory of God. That's how I came up with my definition. And that is that the glory of God is the display of of his attributes. Now, other theologians have defined it this way, the manifestations of his perfections. That's Charles Hodge. Um, John Frame defines the glory of God as God's visible presence among his people. So if that's what the glory of God is, the, the display of, of his attributes, the display of who God is, God's visible presence among his people, then what does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? Well, in short, it is failing or falling short of displaying God's attributes or or manifesting his perfections or being the uh, the visible presence or or a representation of that among God's people. So that's the the basic premise here. So I'm kind of laying that out and then I'll spend the rest of the episode talking more and kind of explaining what I mean by that. I think when we when we think about sin in this way, um, it, it, it can be very good in, in several ways. One, it gets the focus off of us of just, you know, oh, I just need to keep all these rules that God's uh, put there for me to keep in order to be a, a good little boy, or um, if you're a girl, uh, to be a good little girl. So um, it gets the focus on, off of us and just, oh, okay, this is the things that I need to do. And it puts the focus on the glory of God. Our our purpose in life is to glorify God. The, the Westminster Shorter Catechism I mentioned last episode, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now that the Westminster Catechism is not the Bible, but it, it's it's drawing on what the Bible teaches. And so it focuses when we think about sin in this way of sin is falling short of the glory of God it it puts the focus on the glory of God and and when we as we start to see sin in this light I think it helps the the Christian in their daily walk and it and it gives a purpose uh in in striving for holiness in striving to glorify God it it helps us really um narrow down what it means to glorify God and 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 hopefully it helps you out. I, I know I've really enjoyed 
um, just just thinking on this concept and how this applies to my life in in so many ways. Obviously, I'm not a, a perfect dad or husband or you know or son, um, but it, this already I, I can see how the Holy Spirit is using this to identify uh, sin in my own life and and give me a a, a, um, a way to go about trying to to fix that. Okay, and, and to grow in in holiness. So first off, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody is a sinner. There, you know, so that I, I won't even go into that a whole lot. But just the Bible plainly teaches that everybody's sinned. There are some ideologies these days that will basically, uh, some people are, according to these ideologies, are incapable of sinning. All the, the reason for their sin is blamed on other people groups or other, you know, other things. But the Bible clearly teaches that all have sinned. All men and women stand guilty before God as sinners. So all have sinned. Now, what is sin? Sin is commonly defined as a violation of God's law, not keeping God's law. You can think about the Ten Commandments. Um, So sin is a violation of God's law. Uh, A more basic meaning of sin, the word sin, was an archery term. And so if you shoot a bow and arrow at the bullseye and you missed the target, you missed the bullseye, then that was called a sin. So sin, uh, a basic way, is is missing the mark. Now, in order to sin, you can just even think about archery. In order to sin, there has to be some sort of mark, some sort of goal or purpose or standard that you miss. If you're just shooting a bow and arrow just to shoot it, you're not aiming at anything, there's no purpose or goal, then Technically, you can't sin. Sin implies that there is a a standard, um, and and so if you hit that, you don't sin. If you miss it, if you miss that mark, then you have sinned. And so it implies that there is a standard that is very important. Um, it, you know, for for us as creatures, what is this standard by which we must live by? That standard is God's law. Now, these God's law is not just arbitrary. God's law actually comes from his nature and character. So, there are there are not uh, there's not like this this law out there that God has to live by. And and so he God says, "You know, I really I want to be known as a good God. So, I better keep these laws that are, you know, that have some sort of power. No, the the laws, God's laws come from him. So think about it this way. God is truthful, not because he's keeping some law out there that says he's got to be truthful. He is truthful, but simply because that is who he is. He is truthful. That's one of his attributes. And so God, there's not some outside law that governs God. God's laws come just because that is who he, he is. And so it is, it is according to God's law to be truthful because God is truthful. Uh, we should love because God is loving. It, all, all, of the, all of the basic moral, you know, you, you could call it a moral code. I'm calling it God's law. That, that, is, that comes from his nature. 
So it's a display of who who he is. It, it's God's law comes from his nature and character or his attributes. Okay. So again, it's God's law is not some arbitrary rules that God just makes up out of thin air just because he wants to impose a, a, a bunch of rules on us and enforce his his authority. They come from his nature, and that's very important to realize because as Christians who are we're trying to obey God's laws, know that there's there's a deeper purpose to that than God just just making up a bunch of rules that he wants us to to live by so that we we can prove that we submit to him, okay? All right, now, this 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 uh, submitting to God's law or obeying God's law, is why we were initially created. We were created to represent his nature and character. Men and men and women are made in the image and likeness of God. So if you think about that, we are we were created to represent God in the created world. Now, this representation is called analogical. So uh, think about it this way that you could say an, an analogy for the size difference between the sun and the earth. The, the sun is a lot bigger than the earth. So an analogy would be like a beach ball and a golf ball. So the beach ball is not the sun, but it's an analogy. In this instance, it's representing the sun. And so in the same way, we are not God. Um, as, as men and women, we are not God, but we represent God. That, that, that's what it means to be created in his image and in his likeness. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so, you know, one of the first examples here is that God has dominion over all things, and because we are created in his image, we are supposed to have dominion over all created things here on the earth. So we are supposed to have dominion in the way God has dominion. We, we do not abuse creation. We, we uh, cultivate it. And, and so it, someone who is taking dominion over, the, over created things in a godly way will, will produce flourishing, okay? And so that's, that's what um, it's talking about there, to have dominion in the way that represents the way, the way God has dominion. Now, again, we are not God. So there are two basic categories of God's attributes. There are incommunicable attributes of God. These would be the things that he does not share with uh, humanity. We just can't represent, okay? Um, they, they are incommunicable. God does not communicate them to us, it, it, you know, if you think about that word. So these would be things like uh, eternal. God is eternal, and we are finite, created beings. God is all-knowing, and we have limited knowledge. So those are incommunicable attributes. We can't really represent e eternal, uh, like what God is like from an eternal standpoint. But there are also communicable attributes of God. Uh, this, this would be like love, truth, justice, we can represent God in the way we act in, in those ways. Those are the communicable attributes of God. So God is loving, and we as humans know what it means to love. God is truthful. We know what it means to, to tell the truth or, or to tell a lie. 
Um, and then also like justice. Uh, we, we desire, there's something deep within us that desires justice to be done. We hate the idea of the, of the criminal uh, harming someone and then getting away with it um, on some sort of technicality or uh, a crooked judge that, that, that lets them loose. Um, there, you know, lots of different legal reasons that we, we know that the person did wrong and they, and they get off and, ju- and justice is not done. We hate when that happens. And the reason is because we're created in the image of God. Deep down inside of us, we desire love, truth, justice, th- those communicable attributes. All right? So sin is when we don't act according to God's law. Sin would be when we misrepresent those attributes of God. We, we misrepresent the glory of God. We are distorting the image of, of God. We are supposed to be image bearers of God. And so when we sin, we wrongfully represent who God is. That's one, that's one way of thinking about sin. Now, I realize, I mean, there are books written on the doctrine of, you know, what sin is and things like that. But that from this verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. These are some of the things that, that I've been thinking about. And, and I want to share with you because, again, I, I think it helps us um, it helps us understand what's going on when we sin on a, on a deeper level. Now, this idea of sin being a, a misrepresentation of the attributes of God, the glory of God, is not just something I came up with on a whim. Uh, so obviously I've been reading what different theologians have, have said and different commentators on Romans 3.23. Uh, Douglas Moo wrote a fairly popular commentary on Romans. He writes, quote, Paul is indicating that all people fail to exhibit that being like God for which they were created, end quote. So, you know, Douglas Moo there, or I I will say I'm agreeing with Douglas Moo (laughs) on my interpretation of that. So it is a, a misrepresentation of who God is. Now, if we think about the opposite side of that, think of someone you know who is devoted to God, a strong Christian. One way you would describe that person is godly. And think about that word. They are acting like God. They are are representing God. They are acting in a godly way. And so if sin is a misrepresentation or a distortion of God, someone who is not walking in sin but but walking to obey God's laws, they they would be considered a godly person. Doesn't mean that they're perfect, but uh, they they are representing God in a in a more true fashion. Okay, so that's another way to to think about it. Now, when we think about sin in this way, there's a, a couple of different ways to look at it. So you may be thinking, okay, how is uh, how is like Adam and Eve's sin of eating the forbidden fruit? How is that a misrepresentation of of who God is? And so there's two basic categories. There is is the relationship between God and man. I think about the the scribe asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so there we have two basic categories. We have the relationship between God and man and the relationship between man and man. Or, you know, you, you could generalize that man and creation. So 
how do we fall short of the glory of God when it comes to this uh, sins between God and man, like like disobedience to God? So let's think about Adam and Eve. You could say that pride or selfishness or or uh, you know lots of covetousness, lots of different ways to kind of categorize the first sin of Adam and Eve. But but just hang with me. Let's just say that it's disobedience. Now. What's happening on a deeper level when Adam and Eve choose to disobey God and eat of the forbidden fruit? They are, they are misrepresenting the attributes of God because they are not acting in a way that, that displays that God is truthful, that he is loving, that, that, um, that God is, when God tells them, do not eat of the tree of not, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they're, they're saying, in the way that they're acting, they're misrepresenting God because they're saying that Satan or, or the, the serpent cares more about them than God or is more truthful than God. They're saying, God told us this, but we don't believe it. We're not going to obey what God said because we think it's better if we eat of this fruit. They're, they are misrepresenting the, the truthfulness of God is, is one way to, to look at that. And so that's... That's kind of how I'm taking this concept and thinking about it in different ways of sinning. Now, the the other way, as I mentioned, you know, a relationship between God and man, like like Adam and Eve disobey God, and that obviously is a sin, and it misrepresents God's truthfulness in that case. Um, a, another way you can look at it is uh, sin like like lying, uh, like if I lie to someone else, I am misrepresenting God. I'm sinning. I'm misrepresenting the attribute of God because I'm not being truthful to that person. And so in, in that instance, I'm misrepresenting, I'm, I'm a bad image of, of who God truly is. So there's a, a few different ways to think about different sins and how does that um, misrepresent or dishonor the, the glory of God, who God really is, the display of his attributes, okay? Now, uh, sin separates us from God. We've, we've heard this before, but why does it separate us? I think this concept, again, of, of misrepresenting the attributes of God, the glory of God, it, it helps us think about why sin uh, it separates us from God. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine a, a world-renowned speaker for a company that promotes Christian marriage, Okay, so this guy travels all over the world, um, strengthening marriages, doing seminars on how wonderful Christian marriage is, and, uh, and and encouraging couples to work out their differences, to stay together, to stay united. So this is this is his job, right? And he's like the face of this marriage company. Okay, now let's say that he gets caught in having an affair. So he gets caught in adultery, and then he, you know, in in sort of confessing this, he goes on some you know popular talk show, and he says, actually, you know, all along I've been having this affair. Marriage is really not, you know, not really necessary. I would I would say everybody just needs to go out there and just hook up with whoever they want to, and just have fun while while you're alive, and and don't worry about settling down with one person. Okay, so what would happen to this speaker? That company would fire him. They, they would separate themselves from this speaker. Why? Because he has completely misrepresented what that company stands for. 
he, but in that misrepresentation, they must be separated. They cannot link themselves to this man anymore because he's completely misrepresented what they stand for. If we think about sin in this way, when we sin, God's holiness and his perfection and, and his zeal for his own glory. Now, this is, this is not a, a, a bad selfishness of God. God is the creator of all things. Um, and so he, for him to be jealous for his own glory is a good thing. All of creation is better when we glorify God. And so God can be jealous for his own glory. All right, that's a whole, that's a different topic, uh, but I just wanted to, to mention that real quick. So this is not a, a bad quality of God to be jealous for his own glory, to, to desire that, that everyone would glorify him. He tells us plainly that he is seeking out his own glory. Uh, in the in the Bible, he tells us this over and over again. So, sin separates us from God because God is passionate about His own glory. And so, when we fall short of the glory of God, when we misrepresent the glory of God, the display of His attributes, who He really is, He's we are separated from Him, and and so we're separated, and we deserve the wrath of God for sinning against Him, for misrepresenting Him. And so that's that's one way to think about why sin separates us from God. Now, here's some some application as I'm kind of closing it out. If you are a non-believer, if you are not a Christian, the first thing I would challenge you to think about is what is your standard for right and wrong? I talked about how sin is missing the mark, but that word sin implies that there is a mark, there is a goal, there is a standard. And so the Christian would say, everyone, whether you reject God or not, the athe- even the atheist is created in the image of God. And deep down inside, that those, those attributes like love and truth and justice are buried deep within them. And they, that there's a, a, a moral code, a, a law, I would say it's God's law, but there's a there's a law that that even the atheist believes people should act according to. The, the, the atheist would say people ought to do certain things. You ought not to cut in line in front of someone who is already there. And so why does the atheist, or you know, if you're a non-believer and you're, you're listening to this, why do you have certain uh, moral standards, certain absolute right and wrongs, in, in your mind that you that you think people should live by. Without a an absolute standard, like I'm saying, comes from God and his his character, without an absolute standard, you have no right to complain about anyone doing right or wrong. There there is no standard. In an atheist universe where evolution is just happening and we're all just chemical reactions Um, We're just doing, as Doug Wilson says, we're doing what protoplasm does under these temperatures and in these circumstances. So someone that that goes and shoots up a school, they are just a chemical reaction. There's actually not a right and a wrong there with an atheist worldview. And we just know that that's absurd. We all hold people to certain standards. And so Think about that. What is your reason for having that that standard that you can say, no, this is absolutely right or wrong? Not just my personal opinion, but this is absolutely right or wrong. What's your standard? 
Um, so obviously, I would say that you are borrowing from the Christian worldview. You're borrowing standards from the God who created you. And if you reject God, you're, you're borrowing standards and then and rejecting the, the very God who gave you those standards. So I just challenge you to, to think about that deeply. Now, also, if you're a non-believer, you are a sinner, just like Christians are sinners, but you are a sinner who is separated from God. Ephesians 2.3 says that you are a child of wrath. So we, to, in today's world, people say that, oh, everybody's a, a, a child of God. No, only believers are children of God. And so right now, if you're a non-believer, you are a child of wrath. You, do, you The wrath of God uh, is is upon you in your sin against him. So turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust in him. He is eternally God, but he became a man. He lived a perfect life and he died on the cross paying the penalty. The, he suffered the wrath of God for your sin or, or for the sin of those who trust in him as their savior. Three days later, he rose from the grave proving that his message was true, that he was who he said he was. So repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, and trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and and start seeking to glorify God. That's something that will naturally happen as the Holy Spirit works in your heart, and you repent and and turn to Jesus Christ. So I I um, beg you to to do that today. Uh, hear this message that you are a sinner and you need a savior. And also keep listening because the next few weeks I'm going to go into this a lot more in a lot more detail of how Jesus Christ is our savior. Um, now, eventually, everybody, no matter what, eventually everybody will glorify God. Those who reject God will glorify him as they are punished eternally for their sin against him. I know that's that's tough to hear, but that is the truth. That's what the Bible teaches. So you will glorify God as he pours out his wrath on you for your sin against him unless you have a savior and that the only savior is Jesus Christ. So you will glorify God as he pours out his wrath against you for your sin against him or you will glorify God because you've been saved by his grace and and you glorify God in your salvation. For the believer, how does this this whole episode um how how can how can we apply this to our lives? Your sin is a misrepresentation of God's glory. You're not trying to um, put away or mortify, put to death sin in your life. You're not striving to do that just so you can be considered a good little Christian. You you are made in the image of God, and, and as a Christian, Christian means little Christ. So the Holy Spirit is working to conform you to be more and more like Christ, and Christ is the perfect representative of God the Father. We'll learn more about this next week. And so as you strive to put away sin in your life, know that you are representing the very glory of God in the way that you act. So when you sin, repent of that sin, obviously, but also go to the person that you've sinned against and tell them, the way I treated you, I sinned against you, and that is not the way that the God I serve, the God I believe in, treats people. And I have, I have, I know I'm a, I'm a Christian. I confess to be a Christian, but I have not acted in a godly way in this instance. And so, when you do this, when you repent and go to that person in this way, you are, you are helping 
in your sin, you've misrepresented who God is, but in your confession, you're helping to sh- helping them to realize the, the true nature and character of the God that, that you serve and, and believe in and the God who saved you. So live to glorify God. You glorify him in your salvation, but you also glorify him as the Holy Spirit works in you, in your heart, producing obedience to God's law and, and the fruits of the Spirit. So hopefully that helps you think about your Christian walk uh, in, in a little different way. And, and like I said, it's it certainly helped me. Now, I am very thankful that Romans does not end at Romans 3.23, but listen to the next verse paired with it, Romans 3.23 and 24. And obviously this is where we're going next week. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus.